You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode two of our show where we discuss the latest news about Apple, iPhone, iPad, Mac, and more. We're recording on Thursday, February 5th, 2015. And topics for today include the Photos beta for OS X that came out today. We saw lots of screenshots and videos of it, and we're going to talk about it. The Apple Watch companion app and more Apple Watch news. A win for net neutrality. Tom Wheeler, chairman of the SEC, proposed to classify Internet as a Title II utility. Apple testing some mysterious vans with cameras in San Francisco, and some more news if we get to it at the end of the show. We have with us again Apple Insider editor Daniel Dilger. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for joining us again. Hi, Stephen. And we also have Apple Insider contributing writer Victor Marks. How you doing, Victor? Fantastic, Stephen. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us. So let's jump right into it. Uh, photos for OS X Beta. It was a developer release today. This is the Photos app for OS X that's going to replace iPhoto and Aperture this spring. And it's got a lot of iOS-style designs and features that came in, uh, like smart sliders. It has um, some auto-crop and cool features. So we're going to talk about it a little bit. And uh, we again, we just kind of got an initial view. It's still a beta. But uh, it's real interesting. I don't know about you guys, but I was an Aperture user. And I was really hoping Apple kind of put some pro features in this. Uh, well, did you guys ever use iPhoto or Aperture this way, or did you use something else? I always used iPhoto. I, I had Aperture briefly. I never took to it. I, I knew people that did. But you have to remember, iPhoto had been around a long time. It debuted with iLife back in like 2003. With the uh, It was about the same time that the 12-inch aluminum power books were introduced. Um, it, it was really long in tooth. And being able to move to something that's lighter, that doesn't have all of the clutter around just the windowing system, editing system, is is a big win. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, iPhoto was definitely a stale for a while. So I would definitely check out our article on Apple Insider. You'll see the link in show notes uh, to that so you can read it. But basically the new Photos app, uh, you have four sections, uh, much more space dedicated to actually viewing the photos. Apple says 67% more screen space to seeing just photos. But you'll have uh, Photos, which is a chronological view. You'll have a shared tab, which syncs with your iCloud photo library. Albums, with, which work just like albums used to, and up projects where you can still do things like photo books and calendars and things like that. I think for, for iPhoto users, the smart sliders and some of those features are really going to be a, a step up. But there's also a lot of things still missing that I used, um, even features that iPhoto had. An iCloud photo library may be great. They definitely changed it up as opposed to photo stream. So now it's, you can put as many pictures as you want as long as you pay for the iCloud drive space. And the, the thing is about the new Photos app is all the photos on your phone will sync to photos on your Mac and iCloud and vice versa. So if you delete a photo on your phone, it deletes it everywhere. And there's an option on the phone to kind of uh, optimize for phone storage so it'll just save smaller size photos on your phone, a little less quality, and leave the full-res photos on your Mac. But I, I wish there was a little more separation where I can kind of ch pick and choose which photos are on my phone and but still leave them on my Mac. So uh, ho hopefully there'll be a way to do that. Sure, but this goes back to the, the kind of question you were raising about Aperture, which is, is who are they aiming this at? Is this for 
everyone to be able to access this, or is this for a pro user? And I think some of those pro features from Aperture are going to go away, and if you need those, stick with Lightroom or something else. If you want to have complex syncing rules, this is not the product for you. It's got to be as simple as, if it's on my computer, it's on my phone. If it's not on my computer, it's not on my phone. And anything more than that gets hard to explain. Right, and and Apple actually did, when they announced that iPhoto and Aperture were going to be discontinued this spring, they actually encouraged people to go to Adobe Lightroom as far as photography professionals. They just said, listen, this Photos app is not going to be so much for you. We actually encourage you to go to Lightroom. So that was interesting. Uh, For me personally, I I hope I can use this as my main app, though. I think it's a good sign that they are not doing things that they're not particularly good at or maybe care about. One of the things about Aperture is I really wanted it to be a great application. And it was never, you know, it was originally, what was it, 300 something dollars? So it was was aimed at being a pro app, but it didn't move fast enough. And Apple clearly didn't care enough about it. And at the same time, people were actually using things like Lightroom and other apps that were moving faster because, I mean, that's what Adobe does is pro apps. So, right. The other and thing, then, you mentioned um, the lack of third-party integration. One of the one of the issues there, I mean, one of, one of the problems that's solved in a different way is with app extensions, and being able to third-party developers can now create their own extensions to get your photos, uh, sharing them through Flickr or some other service. The third-party service can do that themselves. Right. And I did see a screenshot of the share sheet in the new Photos app. So, you know, maybe Flickr will be included there and and other types of services. One of the real interesting things that some of the developers were pointing out was that the new Photos app is actually built with uh, something called UX Kit for OS X. And that's a a new framework uh, built. uh, Basically, this is the first time they've seen an app built in this. And developers are saying it's very similar to UI Kit on iOS. And it might be a step in the direction of kind of using a similar a design language for iOS and Mac. So for developers, that could be exciting if that's a new way that developer, developers can write Mac apps in a similar way. I think we're seeing a lot of, it, originally, you know, when the iPhone first came out and also the iPad, there was an effort to kind of take Mac apps and put them on the iPhone. So when they first started talking about, you know, you had Safari, you had the real mail and things like that. And then later they came out with iWork apps and especially for the iPad. And now we're seeing kind of a reverse flow where, where there's there's kind of a, a flow in both directions where things were introduced on the iPhone or, or on the iPad, and they've come into the Mac. This whole sense of, of full screen or um, full screen apps. Right. And this is an example of that. It's instead of instead of an app starting on the Mac, it's clearly started on, on iPhone. Right. Yeah. The iOS app. On, on iOS, the Photos app on iOS. So, so go ahead. I, just just a question for Dan. Um, w- would you agree that, uh, or, or would you do you believe that Apple will pretty much always cut off the Pro option in favor of a consumer option? They'll, they'll always kill the Pro product in favor of delivering the right thing for the, the consumer non-Pro user? No, I think it depends on, on the interest level there and whether or not there's, there's enough... Uh, interest uh, from, I mean, a good example of that is Final Cut Pro. Mm-hmm. There, are, there is competition to Final Cut, but there are a lot of people that use Final Cut, and it's a strategic product for Apple. 
where Aperture, it was harder. You could see that the strategy was there when they wanted to do something, but they weren't necessarily achieving it. And so after a number of years, you have to say, wait a minute, is this is this a product that we're doing a good job at? Or is this something that we should let go? I mean, the same thing with the Xserve and products like that. I think it also applies to Logic because that's audio and musicians have always used Macs. And that's something that even recently there's been some uh, big updates to Logic. And I think, I think they'll keep pushing forward in those two areas. I think video production and audio production, Apple has always kind of favored um, and all of these, at least professionals in those areas, have also favored Apple and used their software. So I think I think they'll still continue to develop those. As far as photography, I think we kind of see they're they're going to go more the consumer route because everyone's taking pictures with their iPhones. At least a majority of the people who use Apple devices probably are. Another difference between uh, Logic and Final Cut is that they were both very popular apps before Apple bought them. Right. And they had lots of users and. Uh, Aperture was something that was created within Apple. And at a time, when did it come out? In like 2003 or 2005? Seems like, I think it was like 2005. It's that same kind of time frame. It followed iLife, but not by very much. Right. Yeah, so it was kind of like a glorified iLife kind of app. And with iLife, Apple could, could kind of get by with sort of doing a half job. And it was still great because it was something. Whereas with Aperture, you can't really do a half pro app. And it has to be a real focus. And at the time, what Apple was doing with software is they had a group that would do an app, and then they would start doing something else entirely. Right. Whereas in most software companies, you have a team that's constantly working on the same app for a period of time. So what Apple would do is, you know, they'd come in and do the iLife apps, and they would they would back out, and they would start some other totally different project, a different team. So there was not the continuity. And you saw that with a number of apps that Apple's had, where it was it was sort of like, you know, strategically, we want to do this. But we don't want to have a dedicated team that's constantly doing it because we don't have the resources. And that's kind of changed now. Apple has so much money that they can do anything they want, really. The real right. constraint is, is how many people do you want to devote to an application? And with something like Aperture that's never been successful, and they, it got to the point where they're basically giving, giving it away, maybe right. time to reevaluate, you know, what are we trying to do here? Yeah, I think that's good. So we'll see. I mean, this is just the first... Uh, beta release that we've seen uh, given to developers, and they still have several months before it comes out. They said, you know, this spring it'll probably coincide with whatever event is closer to the Apple Watch launch. So, and speaking of the Apple Watch, our managing editor uh, Neil Hughes he put up a piece this week looking into the companion app that's going to be on the iPhone, and this companion app was found in iOS 8.2 beta. And the companion app is basically what people are going to use to customize the notifications and how the Apple Watch interacts with the phone. And uh, it was nice to see that you're going to get a lot of granular control over the Apple Watch as far as notifications and messages and calls and things like that, uh, the kind of alerts you get. And I, I also thought it was interesting the accessibility features that the watch was going to have, even things like voiceover, which uh, on a Mac voiceover is, you know, the computer will talk to you and describe what's being displayed on the menu. On an and, iPhone uh, as well. Yeah, an iPhone as well. And uh, so it'll be on the watch. So I'm curious um, on the watch if you'll need uh, like Bluetooth headphones or if the, I guess the watch can just talk, you know, straight out of the watch. So Well, or really it can talk straight out of the speaker on the phone that it's paired with. 
Right. Yeah, that's very true. So that, that'll be interesting to see. But it was it was a nice first look at what uh, we'll be able to do with the watch. Um, you can also customize things like when you hold it up, if it defaults to uh, audio message or voice to text, you could tell it, you know, always do one or the other. One of the things that I wonder about, and it's it's pure speculation at this point, is what will the release cycle, what's the life cycle of the watch sound look like? You know, we've we've had phones that rev every year and iPads that rev every year, but Apple TVs that are are a lot uh, a lot more longer lived between generations. And is the watch a product that's longer lived, or is a watch on that same kind of quick yearly cycle? Yeah, and I also heard, you know, when the Apple Watch was first announced there were ideas that maybe the Apple Watch would be kind of hardware upgradable, almost like you take your watch to a jewelry store and get the battery replaced or some kind of thing replaced. Maybe you could do that yeah. with a watch to increase the length. I don't know, the I, increase the life cycle. I, I think that's um, pie in the sky. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is a, a plausible idea with the, what, they're, what they're calling the, it's not a system on a chip, but they're calling it, I can't with the system package. Or I, I can't remember what the, the phrase they're using the, for, the, the S1. Right. It's it's more than just a system on a chip. It's actual components in a package. And they've emphasized kind of strangely what it looks like and the fact that it, it's water resistant. It's it's in this like plastic package. Right. And so it is it is does make sense that if you're buying a, a gold watch that's gonna cost thousands of dollars just in the gold, that you're not gonna throw it away and, and recycling that every year is kind of silly too. So you're buying something tangible of value and you have the electronic component that you could swap out. So you could, you know, it, it does make sense that you could open up the back and replace the electronics inside as, as part of an upgrade cycle. Right, or, or at least make it so whatever software updates come out actually work well with older models. Because, well. you know, even with iOS, you know, one or two iOS updates on a, a, de- a device, it still works pretty well. But once you get to iOS 8 on like an iPhone 4S, it gets a little rough. So if they could make the Apple Watch OS, maybe mostly because it's really just mirroring the iPhone, maybe it'll be able to last and keep up longer with the software updates at least. But it's it does more than just mirror the iPhone. There are native watch apps. Right. I mean, and like you can sync music to it, and that's something we saw in the companion app, and you can actually put photos on it. Uh, as far as third parties, I know a lot of developers were saying uh, it's tough to really work with in the simulator, and there's not tons of features you can do. Um, so we'll have to see. And again, it's probably one of the things where Apple Watch software version 2 and version 3 will open it up to even more features and more standalone function on the watch. And also, I think the the functionality of the watch as a as a device, um, if you think about the the history of the iPhone, when it first came out, that was the first time anyone had ever made a basically a full computer in a phone form factor, and it had a basic resolution display. And every year, the system on a chip that runs it has gotten at least twice as fast, and graphics have been even faster bounding. So we're now at a point where we have resolution or uh, Retina resolution graphics. And a lot of the other features that we kind of take for granted on, on today's phone are already state-of-the-art on, on the watch. So it's, it's not that it's not, the technology is not going to keep advancing. It's that we're already at a point where you don't rapidly need to throw away a new, get a new screen just be, right. because this screen already looks pretty good. So at some point you're going to have a better screen. But when you start off with technology that's already really good, then the updates will come through software and, you know, potentially through upgrading the chip in it. So you get better battery life, um, you know, more sophisticated components that are more powerful and doing 
local apps and things like that. So I think it'll be a different type of cycle. Yeah, yeah, I agree. What do you guys think? There was a couple stories out there that when you go try to see an Apple Watch in an Apple Store, kind of handle one, that Apple Stores are going to have to use almost jewelry store level security, where someone's going to have to kind of get it out of a glass case for you. Uh, Again, we don't know how true that is. Those are just kind of some speculations. But if that is true, you know, especially with the edition versions, that could be thousands of dollars. Curious how that's going to affect the customer's reaction and and the uh, desire for it if it's difficult to get to, because that's one of the appeals of an Apple store. You walk in, and you can walk right up to an iPad, iPhone, and start using it. It is a totally different product, yeah. It's a, it's a fashion product. And so if you look at the way things are sold in a Target, they're very different than if you go to a, you know, a fancy jewelry store. You have a different way people are handling you. So that's going to be interesting to see how they retro, retrofit that that sort of experience into an Apple store. And, and even, even a Target, like you'll see iPhones and iPads are still behind glass cases. And that's always why the Apple store is nice because they're just laying out on a table. Have either but, of you been to a watch dealer and, and asked to see a watch? I've actually went to a Movado store once. Oh, God help you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what were you <laughs> thinking? If it was no, in, no intention of buying anything, just for the experience. A $500 quartz watch. Good Lord. Um, so I went to a, um, not, not that my experience is a lot better, but I went, I've been to a couple of different Rolex dealers and Omega dealers and things like that. And, you know, tried on the $12,000, um, oh, it was a uh, Explorer 2 uh, mm-hmm. GMT style watch tried on some of the Submariner stuff, and the way they do this is is very nice and very caring because they're trying to make every part of the experience be about the the luxury and care of the product. So they they first they look you over skeptically to see if you're good enough to go ahead and handle the watch. <laughs> right. Then they put on the white gloves, mm-hmm. and then they take out the suede or felt lined presentation tray. Uh, sometimes a booklet that folds open, and right. they place the watch on this wearing the white gloves, and they hand it to you, and, and you know, uh, they and a security guard and one other person in the store watch you like a hawk, and, uh, you know, then you may try on the watch. <laughs> right, and, and I could see that for the, the you know, the 18-karat gold edition, but for the $350 sport edition, I just can't imagine they're going to have that same level of... I don't know, security or presentation for, for all of those. I, I hope they would have some at least open display where you can go up and try it on. One last thing on the Apple Watch. I saw this article on uh, CNN Money, and I just have to mention it because it was, it kind of got me riled up. It was just one of these, again, hyperbole headlines that they immediately refute in their, their next paragraph. And uh, it was this, again, article from CNN Money, the Apple Watch will flop. Here's why. That's the headline. That's, <laughs> well, it's on CNN Money if you want, and we'll include it in show notes. But after that initial line of the Apple Watch will flop, here's why. The second line is, well, in Apple terms anyway. And then they go on to say millions of people will buy the watch, such and such. And even if they only sell 3 million, Apple still makes $1 billion in sales. And basically, they're trying to say that in Apple's terms, this will not be a success. And but if it were things. an independent company making that one product. Right, exactly. And it would also be a success. In, the, in the in the article they say 70% of Apple's revenue comes from the iPhone and it's going to be something like the Apple TV. And of course other companies would be happy to have just the sales that the Mac has in a quarter or the sales that an iPad has in a quarter. So no, of course the the watch is not going to reach 
uh, 30, 40, 50 percent of Apple's business in the first year or two. And I don't think Apple expects it to either. But to say it's going to flop, uh, I mean, obviously, it's an exaggeration and just akin to clickbait. Um, well, as far as how Apple's selling it first, obviously, they're not going to sell it in the same way they've sold other things. And if you there's there's a finite people keep saying oh apple how are they going to come up with their next hit imagining that everyone's going to have a phone and an ipad and a ipod and a mac and it's like how, how many devices can they sell you and the way you know if, if you were if you were apple and you're thinking going forward we're now selling you know 50 million iphones a quarter and how are a million max? What do you do going forward? How do you get people to buy another product and then another product and another? At some point, you're not going to be able to unless you start replacing their TV and their car and things like that. Um, if you're trying to sell somebody another piece of electronics, you either have to go for what Apple did in saying, here is a lower volume product, but it's much more expensive. It creates a whole different kind of halo effect. So that when people think about Apple, they don't just think about nice quality products but this luxury tier that creates a halo over everything else apple sells so this whole notion that apple has to sell some minimum number of millions of devices and they have to every year sell more and more and more or else they're failing is so ridiculous and that's what people are talking about when they when they refer to the ipad and it's like every every year's sales isn't higher so it must be a terrible fail and it's collapsing and ruin apple is selling all of the tablets that are making money all of them. And they're selling a huge, huge volume. Yeah, it's a terrible failure, except for all of those competitor tablets that don't sell anything. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's all these companies that are failing to sell tablets at all. And there's companies that are they're pushing tablets out there, but they're giving it away. They're losing money. Well, we'll, we'll have lots of Apple Watch news, I'm sure, in the months to come. But let's go on to, um, I definitely want to talk about the net neutrality news that came out this week. I think it was a win for the internet Tom Wheeler, the FCC chairman, put forth a proposal to classify Internet as a utility, putting it under Title II. And that was something that, again, net neutrality advocates were after and were hoping that he would do. And, of course, we weren't sure if the big cable companies like AT&T and Verizon were, would put too much pressure and they not even try. So the proposal is out there. The FCC will be voting on it soon. And uh, this is a definite positive in the area of cable companies and net well, neutrality. Well, you say that. Um, first of all, AT&T and Comcast have already said they're going to sue over this. So oh, no doubt that everyone's going to sue. This is going to take a year or so to hash out, for one thing. But but whether or not it's a positive is is it's it, it it feels like a positive. We want it to be a positive, but it's a complex topic, right? It's so, complex, but uh, the alternative. First of all, Comcast and Verizon were basically extorting Netflix, right? For for you know to pay more money in order to actually provide the traffic that their subscribers were already paying for, right? Mm -hmm. So subscribers were paying, and then they were charging Netflix again to deliver the same content that had already been paid for, or for the connection that had already been paid for. That's one way of viewing it. And, and stopping Comcast from extorting more people is always a win, I agree. But the downside is, does net neutrality mean that you can no longer traffic shape? Does it mean that you can... Um, prioritize packets or prioritize applications. And if it does, then it means that things like wireless wireless ISPs are going to be in a world of hurt for when people start 
using their their capacity to its limits and they can't deliver any other traffic. Well, and that was also another thing that came out was this proposal will actually apply to wireless carriers as well and things like what T-Mobile is doing where when you stream iHeartRadio and such services like that, it won't count against your data cap, but using Spotify does count against it. The T-Mobile won't be able to differentiate from that. And that does seem like well, I, wa- I don't want my data to be used when I stream my service, uh, but if I'm using X service, then it charged me. So, you know, it's it's a, a policy and pro- uh, process, and they're looking at yes, you, you know, they do need the ability to manage their networks. And there's provisions for that, in 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 con- conceptually going into progress. But I mean, the basic thing is is that most uh, almost all Americans have very few choices for broadband. I live in Berkeley, California. I'm right across the water from San Francisco. Uh, I live, I could throw a rock and hit the University of California in Berkeley. And <laughs> and I have basically one choice for fast I internet. I have two choices, Comcast. soon to have three. I am, I'm in, yeah. but I'm rare. <laughs> well, I can also get a, I, I can get a, uh, what do you call it, microwave dish? And maybe I yeah, wasn't if I point that. it, I'll, I'll get service. <laughs> but there's very, very few realistic yeah. options for most people. And most people don't live in, you know, metropolitan California where you should have pipes all over the place that give you all kinds of options. I think my only other possible option right. is I can get AT&T's DSL well, so that's really slow. Like me. So when you only have one option, right. yeah, that, that is a utility. And it should be regulated as a utility. And, and I don't think, like Comcast, Time Warner, I don't think that they're desire to regulate their own network was to help their customers get a better experience. They want people to pay for cable packages. They want people to up their internet speeds and they want to throttle things like YouTube and Netflix uh, to charge you more for it. So yes, someone who has multiple choices, maybe like yourself, net neutrality may not seem like as big of a deal, but like Dan, I have, yeah, like myself, I have exactly one choice, not fiber. (laughs) I have a cable internet and that's my only choice. And uh, it's not great not great speeds. And, uh, you know, things like Google Fiber are going to take way too long to get to be nationwide, just building out infrastructure like that. Uh, f- I was about to say for you, um, <laughs> I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina, one of the seven cities that was announced recently as a candidate right. for, well, that's actually where Fiber seven. will be. <laughs> one of seven. Um, right. Yes, it's awesome. Yeah, um, yeah it's great <laughs> for you. No, today, today I have Time Warner and I'm getting 50 megabits down. And I can have AT&T and get 18 to 20 megabits down. And in the future, I will have Google Fiber and get a gigabit down. And because Google Fiber's been on the card so long as, as the city's been pushing for it um, and, and working through the application process for it, a Time Warner's already said, you know what, for the same money that you're already paying, we're going to increase to 300 for you. Yeah, of course. So, even if competition, you know, of course, right? They're, competition they're trying to, they're trying to remain right. relevant. So, at least those places that do not have competition, again, like myself, this will hopefully help the situation. And again, the, the FCC is going to vote on this February twenty sixth. It's not that these uh, policies have been put into place yet, but the FCC votes twenty sixth, and then surely there's going to be many lawsuits and court cases between the cable companies trying to decide this. And uh, then it can also be circumvented by, you know, congressional laws that may be put in place. So it's still a long way to go, but it, it was the first step towards a free and an open internet. So we'll see how that unfolds in the next year. I do want to touch on, we had on the site an article about the mysterious cars with roof-mounted cameras driving around San Francisco, your neck of the woods, Dan. 
around there, I think. And uh, I think it's pretty obvious what these Apple cars would be doing with cameras on the top. But uh, I'll get to your thoughts. What do you guys think? I haven't actually seen any of the cars. There's a lot of weird cars in San Francisco. <laughs> so, wouldn't actually... <laughs> you know, I actually, I, actually, I actually saw a car with a Bing sign on the top. Uh, I drive through my uh, Central Florida neighborhood. So I only assume uh, Bing Maps will hopefully get Street View. But uh, I'm sure this is Apple bringing some kind of Street View option to their their Maps app. Well, it's it's clearly mapping because they've got the uh, the the attachment on the rear wheel tracking how far the wheel mm-hmm. rotates, right? Yeah. So I'm yeah, but I, they're not word driving for some other reason. They're they're word driving right. for mapping because of of that measurement unit on the back wheel. But that's an interesting array of cameras. I mean, you've seen this picture, right, Dan? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty wild. It looks like a pretty wild camera. Not <laughs> not something that I've seen on, on the other cars. You know, it's it's not the um the, the, the sixteen camera in a sphere. It's it's it looks like see, I'm looking at the picture now and it looks like I see what could be a couple of cameras at the corners, but I'm wondering if I'm also seeing radars. Hmm. You know, if you look at the so there there yeah. I'm looking at a side picture that has the driver's door towards us, and there are two cameras at the front and back on that's the driver's side, but on the passenger side, it looks like there are two radars. Yeah, I'm looking at it now too. And what it what it uses it's it's lidar. It's actually sending out it's 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 sort of like Connect, where it's sending well, out a, a lidar was the same thing that was on the uh, the Google yeah, car. So what it's doing is, is it's uh, shooting a a mesh of beams around and, and getting a very accurate picture for a computer of what's out there. So yes, you could do you use it for maps. One of the things you could do is is make it so that um, when you do flyover graphics, you could zoom in and you'd have a much more accurate street level thing where you're actually getting to the point where it's basically street level or right. it's whatever Google calls it, um, street view. The street view, yeah. So you zoom into the point where you're actually you know, like you're like you're in a drone hovering over the street and you see exactly what it looks like along your route. So that would be one thing they could be doing. The other thing is Apple is working on driverless cars and mm. automotive stuff. True. And so having an accurate uh, map of conditions like that would, would help move things around, whether it's a consumer-level car or whether it's something on, on a different level integrated yeah. into maps. Well, they always had the old Phil Schiller quote that was uh, saying we could have done the iPhone or we could have made a car. And um, it's true. I, I'm I'm hoping it's a street view thing. I, honestly, I want to ask you guys next, but I have to admit I use Google Maps uh, by default on my phone. Do you guys use Apple Maps? I like Apple Maps. Yeah, I like the way it shows things. There's a couple things that it doesn't do well. Um, obviously, it doesn't do transit. There's some countries where. Like one of the things I was sort of surprised at is I'm I'm going to I'm going to China. Well, I'm going to Taiwan and um, Hong Kong mm-hmm. later this month, and looking just exploring around in places in China, it's like wow, there's not even a basic map here. Huh? Really? And so some other places that I've been where you go and it's like, whoa, this isn't even this isn't even mapped out. And you think that China would be kind of an important market for Apple? Uh, yeah. Well. It's it certainly is an important market for them. I I use Apple Maps in the U.S. I use Google Maps in New York and San Francisco for right. public transit, and I use uh, 
Nokia here or Nokia Drive when I'm outside yeah. of the U.S. I actually, the, what really sold me on on Google Maps, at least for now, is I went to England for a couple of weeks and drove all around and Germany. And both times, Google Maps mm. just didn't fail me. It, it sent me down a one-way street once in some obscure uh, uh, town in England. But other than that, it was really solid. So the only difference is when I... I'm trying to get home from somewhere. I may just pop up Siri and say, Siri, take me home. And I know it defaults to Apple Maps. Mm -hmm. So, and it always gets me home. Uh, but what's on the home screen is, is Google Maps for me. I know it's always been fashionable to hate Apple Maps, but um, I went to Europe in, when was that, 2013? And I drove across, I drove across Germany. I was in Berlin and I, I went down to like Stuttgart and, and mm -hmm. drove across to Munich and into Italy and across Austria and, and through the Czech Republic. And I was able to do all of that from Apple Maps. And one of the, the key features for me is that when you're someplace um, foreign and you are in your hotel and you have Wi-Fi and you download your maps, I would, I would commonly do this with Google Maps before Apple Maps came out, and you cache enough maps and then you can go around without data service right. and the GPS is still telling you where you're at. Except that Google Maps didn't cache very well. Yeah. So you get past the area that you've cached and you have nothing. Right. And with with yeah. Apple Maps they do a very good job of caching way more data than you'd think they could possibly do. Yeah. And there's a lot of cases where it really saved my bacon to be able yeah. to operate without data service but you still have tremendous range in what you can do and how how much detail you can see and it's even caching things that you didn't actually explore before yeah right see i didn't trust that it would cache well like that and that's why i used uh, a windows phone running the nokia apps because the nokia apps download the whole country to the phone and you've hmm. got it yeah yeah that's one advantage that apple doesn't have at all right now you have you have limited ability to do that on on Google Maps, but right now, yeah, it, it does a pretty good job up to a point. But if you're going somewhere where you'd never even looked, or if you have just no data service, then yeah, that's that's a problem that you can't download local maps. That was one thing I did like uh, before Google Maps was ever on the iPhone and before Apple Maps. Uh, you know, I think Garmin and a couple other mm -hmm. GPS companies had third-party apps, and you could surely just buy Europe, buy North America, and see the map download and know you were just 100% good to go. And uh, that's, that's you know, what I used for mm -hmm. a long time. And uh, even driving uh, in the mountains of North Carolina, where my, my family will go sometimes, you just lose cell phone reception, you lose all data. And uh, those maps, those never failed uh, to me. So now I think that's kind of a, that market's kind of dying as far as third-party GPS apps but they were useful tom tom and magellan aren't dead yet <laughs> not, no not dead yet not dead yet i don't know how many people are using them but uh, they're still around so i think we have time for one more topic i know victor wanted to talk about the pono player but i say we either talk about neil young's pono player or the galaxy the next galaxy phone launch and kind of dish on that a little bit i'm curious what's uh, victor what's your vote oh ask dan you already know my vote oh that's true okay Dan, what do you prefer? Well, I think the 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 Pono player thing. It, All right, let's just talk has, about has it. It's already crashed. <laughs> I think it's already crashed. So I don't know how newsworthy it is. I mean, I don't, there's there's not going to be much demand for it. Uh, Samsung hasn't crashed yet. <laughs> <laughs> no. So all right. So real quick, Neil Young he backed this uh, four hundred dollar 
a, basically music play portable music player. It looks like a, a triangular shaped iPod Nano, the tall one. It costs four hundred dollars. Supposedly plays high def music. There's two eighth inch jacks on the top, so you can actually get you know full stereo out if you're going to a, like a full stereo system or something like that. And uh, but you'd have to repurchase your music library, basically at two dollars and fifty cents a song if you want to get it on the Pono player because it it uses uh, higher quality audio files. But uh, David Pogue from Yahoo Tech, he did some blind tests. He's actually a professional musician. He did some blind tests and said that he didn't really hear much of a difference, if at all, between an iPhone playing music and the Pono. And there was also some uh, some testing from Ars Technica that said uh, flack audio files on the Pono did not sound noticeably better than high-quality MP3. So that was the whole story. Victor, so what is your defense my, of the Pono? My thought is a, a few different things. First of all, you, you don't necessarily have to purchase your song if they were able to load flack on there. And flack files are full, high-resolution songs. So you should be able to sideload your music. At least it looks like that to me. But but when you say full resolution, you're suggesting that that today's MP3s are not providing you the full range of things you can hear, and they actually are. Well, that's that's a, that's a good question. They are. That's that's a fine thing to say. That's a fine thing to bring up. And and or Apple lossless, for example. Absolutely, it is. And and let me point out, no one carries around portable music players anymore. It's their phone. <laughs> so, uh, and how many people use their phone yeah, that's, that's as the iPod? Niche. Right. Right. Yeah. So and, and it's also I don't know yeah, if you guys exactly. saw the shape yeah. of this thing, but uh, the triangle. Someone. It reminds me of that joke about the triangle iPad <laughs> right. and the triangle. And so, someone actually. <laughs> well, so, like, you saw you the tear apart, right? You saw what's inside there. Uh, I didn't see inside. I just okay. So the teardown of this thing is that it's a f- no. It's <laughs> a, a flat board. It's not a rabbit. Unfortunately, Pogue would have loved it if it had been a rabbit. But it's it's a flat board, and the reason that it's triangular is because it's got a battery that runs vertically behind the flat board, and it's a, a cylindrical cell like you'd find with a double A. Um, and they have two electrolytic capacitors that are sticking up off of the board that that occupy the triangular space at one end of it. If they'd used axial instead of um, end-mounted capacitors. They could have laid them flat and they could have shaved a lot of the thickness off. Hmm. They didn't. Well, my only point is, you know, you're not going to get anyone under a certain age to carry around a portable music player plus their phone, and it's an awkward shape. I don't know. It, it, and the people that it's targeting all have hearing loss anyway. And <laughs> So, yeah. anyway, this <laughs> I think it'll disappear. But anyway, that's the Pono. Before we go, let's just briefly mention Samsung teased its next Galaxy phone. I guess it's, I think we're at the 6S now. And March 1st will be the event that it comes out. And there were, there's been a lot of speculation and some predictions that it's going to be a curved screen and that this curved screen is going to make all the difference. And I would like listeners to recall the Nexus S which was the last curved screen phone that I remember of any significance. But uh, I'm curious to see what you guys think about it. Wasn't there an LG that had a curved screen at one point? That was kind of the big deal, too. Yeah, it was the big deal, but then it it disappeared shortly after. And it never goes anywhere. It's kind of like we have a technology, you know, let's sell it, not like what would be a good thing for us to sell. What do people want? is, Is the problem... People have curved faces. They should have a curved screen. Is that the problem? I'd never talk on the phone, what, so it doesn't what matter. What <laughs> problem are they solving here? Yeah, I don't, I don't see the problem that it's solving. It, it's kind of like 3D, especially, you know, 3D phones were a big thing for a while. At least they were trying to make them, and nobody ever wanted them. You know, I totally LG forgot about that. was really big on that. They had wow. 3D cameras in them, and you could take these 3D. I know. And the weird thing was, 
the, the the images that you took you couldn't really share anywhere you couldn't even like just share it as a 2d image it was like the special file format that you needed to only see on the phone right but now i'm looking at lots of some images. of the other concept concept images for this and they're saying maybe it'll curve you know i was thinking it'll curve concave as as though it would shape to your face but some of these images are showing it curve outward so it's almost That's like maybe silly. easier <laughs> yeah easier thumb tracking maybe you could play spin the bottle with it. Is that the idea? <laughs> I, I do not know. And uh, the, the ad that Samsung put out, you know, it's basically just this silver outline. And that's what making making people think it's curved. But people also thought maybe this is the, it will, it's a sign that it will be made out of metal, which will be the first time that Samsung made a non-plastic phone for the Galaxy series. Well, they have that A series that looks very much like an iPhone 5. Right. It was actually one of the better looking Galaxy phones. Of course. <laughs> Funny about that thing. <laughs> right. um, I didn't design it. So, but, but metal increases their cost huge, huge amounts, right? Because instead of mm-hmm. injection molding, you're now machining. That's, right. that's a big deal. Can they do that and, and yeah. maintain their price structure? I mean, the Galaxy, I thought the Galaxy S phones, usually they already come out at $300 uh, when they're new. I believe. Uh, I doubt they can charge any more for them. So, well, yeah, a big I don't problem know. for Samsung was the fact that they were making most of their money from selling these Galaxy and Next, uh, the, the Note products. And they're not right. priced. I mean, the retail price is the same as an iPhone. The Note was actually $100 more than an iPhone, just like the iPhone 6 Plus is. So, Apple, uh, um, Apple moving into that category sort of destroyed any unique advantage that Samsung had. I mean, it used to be, you know, walking through the mall, you'd see like, a little phone kiosk and there'd be an iPhone and there would be, you know, some Android phones and the Android phones were very attention getting because they're just, because they were bigger. Right. And right. the the idea that people were buying Samsung phones because they were innovative or they did had some S health feature on or something. No, they were buying it because <laughs> of a big screen. Because when you, yeah. if you're just a person walking up to a phone kiosk, it's like, which one do you want? This is the same price, and it's this big, huge screen. You can see your kids well. It's easy to take a picture. Of course, people right. are buying big screens. But now that they don't have that advantage, I don't see any reason why anybody would buy a Samsung phone in general. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're still going to sell a few, but there's not. They, they can't really come out with a blockbuster, you know, here's our next thing that everybody will want. No, because there's no I'm, reason to get I'm it. I'm just looking forward to the, the awkward... Um, plays that they put on. I want to see more skits at their conference shows. You know, their 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 big <laughs> keynote terrible. event. I want to see the awkward skits more. Yeah, it's it's terrible. So, anyway, March 1st, 12:30 p.m. Eastern Time will be the Galaxy event and they'll reveal whatever it is that they are um teasing here. And also HTC is set to announce their new flagship. And I I mean just personally, uh, Android aside, I always prefer HTC's Hardware you almost want to root for HTC at this point, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I do. I, I always. I mean, they're kind of the underdog. I now. always encourage people <laughs> if if someone is set against getting an iPhone, I always try to encourage people HTC or even Moto phones, Moto X. Oh, Moto X and Moto E are where I push people. Yeah, usually. yeah, exactly. I mean, just a bit. Hardware is better. Software is better. But again, Samsung has the marketing budget, and that's you know all people see. So. Well, with a Moto X, you're getting a nearly virgin Nexus kind of Google install. You're not getting a ton of, of Samsung stuff loaded into it. Do you think that's going to yeah. change now that Lenovo bought them? Lenovo, as far as I can tell, and is and I, I talked with a bunch of Lenovo people at CES. Um, as far as I can tell, they're going to kind of keep it the same way. 
they they think it's been working for them and they like it and that's what's they want to stay the course on on Motorola's (laughs) (laughs) incredible break that (laughs) incredible result I mean (laughs) the last we we had yeah well I mean we had good talks about the Moto Watch and 360 and things like that but but with regard to the phone they were they're pretty much they were losing billions of dollars keep keep it virgin yeah yeah I know it's it's such a shame though because I actually have a friend who got a wood backed Moto X and it's actually a nice phone I mean if someone really loves Android and wants to use Android, it's it's not a bad phone, but it's just not the well, one that gets pushed to the surface that you know cust- it, people see. If you're going to use Android, you should use as close to a pure Google experience as you can. I agree, yeah. I think that wraps up our show for this week. Thank you guys for joining me. Victor, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, I'm at vmarks on Twitter, and I happily contribute to appleinsider.com very good and daniel tell people where they can find you i'm on twitter at daniel aaron e-r-a-n and i'm writing on apple insider of course very good and i as well you'll see me writing on apple insider and you can follow me at twitter at steven robles you can find show notes with links to the articles that we talked about on the appleinsider.com on the podcast post and subscribe in iTunes. You'll see it. It's in all the iTunes stores. Sorry for that first episode. We were just getting it out and it was being approved and slowly getting around the world. So you should find it in iTunes without an issue. Make sure to rate it with a star rating and comment and uh, help us stay in those uh, top 10. You actually, and thank you all for subscribing and listening because we were number two in the tech news section for podcasts and iTunes. So thank you all very much. Thank you for joining us again this week, and we look forward to talking to you next week. Mm-hmm.